invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Over the past couple of weeks uh, this month, we have been focusing on different aspects of the peace of God. Uh, we've been looking at Jesus' promise of peace that we have in John 14, 27. My peace I give unto you, my peace I leave with you. Now as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In order to have the peace of God, you first of all have to have what? The peace with God. Two verses, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. The scriptures say, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. A lot of powerful words right there in that passage, and we're going to kind of dig through that today. And I pray this will be a blessing to you as we look at the having peace with God. As we look at this passage, it kind of brought to my mind, there is actually a famous uh, story from Bedouin culture. Bedouin, uh, the Bedouin people are a nomadic Arab people that live in the Middle East, in parts of southern Israel, Jordan, a little bit in Saudi Arabia, kind of that region of the world. Uh, when we lived in Israel, we had uh, uh, oftentimes we would somewhat run across uh, the Bedouin uh, people, and they are not as nomadic as they used to be. Think of like Lawrence of Arabia. That's one of my favorite movies of all time, by the way. Sometimes when I'm studying, I just play the soundtrack of that. Okay, I'm digressing. But anyways, that movie is just captures me, and, and that's a it's a pretty um, fairly good background of Bedouin culture, by the way. But the Bedouin are not nearly as nomadic as they once were, especially in Israel. Is the Israeli government has tried many ways to try to at least get them a little bit more stationary, and so there's uh, villages or even cities now that are Bedouin. Uh, such as Rahat, which is near uh, just north of Beersheba, for example, where Abraham used to be. But nonetheless, uh, let me just tell you about Bedouin culture. Bedouins are known greatly for their hospitality. And so within the Bedouin culture, uh, throughout the years, it was not so much a literate culture, reading and writing per se, but it was a culture largely based on storytelling throughout the, throughout their history. And so there is several famous stories of Bedouin culture, and I love hearing that. Think of like, a, um, in a, how many remember maybe growing up you heard the story of Ali Baba and the 40 Thieves, for example? Stories like that just kind of encaptures mine. That was kind of like, think of it around a campfire uh, outside of your tent or near your tent, and you're hearing these stories being told as you're under the starlight at night. So think of that as we uh, tell you this story. This is, this is a famous story from Bedouin culture. Whether it's precisely true or not, that's not to be determined. Nonetheless, it's a story from their culture. And I believe that this story will highlight a little bit of the beauty of this passage that we're reading here in Romans 5. You see that there were two men who engaged in an argument, and that argument quickly became into a fight. And the end result was that one man killed his fellow in front of other witnesses. The killer then fled for his life. Uh, at, a, at a distance, and he finally eventually came, after running all night, he eventually came to a tent of a powerful sheik, a Bedouin sheik. But as part of Bedouin culture of hospitality, the sheik, the sheik took the man in and gave him refuge, gave him protection. Well, it wasn't soon long after that that the man's pursuers located him, and they asked the sheik to, to turn him over so this man would pay for his crime that he, uh, that he committed. The sheik refused. No, he's under my tent. He's under my protection. But the pursuers then said, but, but he killed a man. 
And the sheik says, I have kept my word and I will not give him over to you. He's under my protection. The pursuer says, you don't understand. The man that you are protecting killed your son. The sheik bowed his head. And after a heavy moment of visible grief, the sheik then said to the men, then he shall become my son. And everything I have will one day be his. Whether, again, that story is true or not, that's to be determined. But in other words, it's a powerful story that's been told through the generations. And as we think of this passage here in Romans chapter 5, this is, again, a great illustration of what it's like to be a child of God whose sins have been forgiven, being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, before we were at say, whether you realize it or not, you were at war with God. The unsaved, those who do not have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, in reality are at war with God. But as you became a believer, as you trusted by faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, your life changed. But I got a question for you. What really changed our status from being at war with God now to having peace with God? As you say, I believe it is the fact that we have been justified by faith. That's the key. As one theologian, John Calvin, said this, justification by faith alone in Jesus is the main hinge on which our salvation turns. You go from condemnation to being justified by faith. Pretty amazing. Again, before we were saved, we were state in a state of condemnation. John chapter 3, verse 36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You see, to be unsaved is to be under the wrath of God. That's not a pretty picture. In fact, what do you usually hear when someone tries to talk about Jesus in public? God has a wonderful plan for your life. He loves you. By the way, does God love the world? Absolutely, so much that he gave his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. We know that. But as in our condition, our status, if you will, was that we were under condemnation. We were under the wrath of God. And by, by this is the important thing, folks. We, this world desperately needs peace. We look even at the situation going on in Ukraine right now. Oh my, how much we need peace in, the, in, in that part of the world and really in, in our society in general. We need peace. And we try to look in other ways to, to gain peace and to get satisfaction. Even some level of peace and quiet. You know, you want that? You know, we wish there was a, don't you wish that there was a world curfew right now? You know, at 10 o'clock, everyone be quiet, go to bed, right? Let, can I give you a little funny story? And we'll get back to this. I'm going to give you another story from the Middle East, uh, having lived there. Uh, we used to have this uh, TV station called METV, Middle East Television, came out of Cyprus, uh, after, out of Limassol, Cyprus. And uh, came in largely in that, that of course, Israel and, and Lebanon, different countries, Egypt and all that. So it kind of broadcast all that area. Uh, but back in the 90s especially, um, on, on Saturdays, well, I forget what day of the week it was they used to do this. But uh, anyways, there was, some, of course, you, you're familiar in the Middle East, there's always some fighting, aggression, there's always some, something going on going, uh, that's taking place, and people are fighting with one another, you understand that. And so anyways, they, this station in Cyprus aired 
WWF professional wrestling back then, okay? For those who follow that, God bless you, right? But, but nonetheless, they aired professional wrestling. Guess what happened in the Middle East? For that one hour, it was quiet in the Middle East because everyone was watching these these big lies beating up on, on each other, okay? Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, whoever. You know, that was what they were doing. Anyways, that's beside the point, all right? You can impress your friends with that later. All right. But the thing is this, don't we wish that there was sometimes a level of timeout, we need peace with God, or we need peace in the world, but the true thing, and we understand this, that there will be no true and lasting peace in this world until the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, comes back. But his first coming was this, his first coming, Christ is rejected, the second coming, Christ is accepted. At his first coming, as he's rejected, but in that, he gives his life for all, giving us that opportunity to have peace with God. It's a sure thing. We praise God for that. In the book of Romans, as Paul's writing here, the first three chapters, I'll be honest with you, there's not much good news. The Bible says that all the world is guilty, the religious are guilty, uh, and the, the world itself is unguilty. Everyone is guilty before God. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We understand that. But there's two key verses that I believe kind of uh, form a parenthesis around the first couple of chapters of Romans. Romans 1.18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Again, the wrath of God is upon the ungodly. Now you get towards the end. There's not any good news until you get to Romans chapter 3, verse 32, or 21, excuse me. Romans 3, 20 says this, Therefore, by the deeds of law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Again, there is no hope in our sinful condition to be justified or to be right with God. There is nothing that you and I can do to earn that, to merit it by any means from, from our own strength or from anyone else in this room for that matter, okay? Even the greatest world leader has no power to deliver you from this condemnation that is upon us because of our sin. Well, what is condemnation? This is the, this is the thing. The opposite of, of justification is condemnation. What is condemnation? In this, condemnation is this, that God declares us sinners. You know what this is? This is a declaration of war. God is at war with the ungodly. He really is. It's a spiritual conflict. Absolutely. God declares. This is a judicial term here. God declares us sinners. That's what it means. So does God mean business when he talks about sin? Absolutely. God does not overlook sin. Yes, God in his mercy may withhold his judgment, that's another issue altogether. But in our state right now, the world is under, is basically facing war with God itself. By the way, you go to the tribulation. Here's a little teaser for the prophecy conference coming up. As you think about the tribulation, it's amazing when all the judgments come and even opportunities, think of the two witnesses, for example, the 144,000, and other ways that God in his grace is giving truth during that time. There's still people who will shake their fists not at those. They'll shake their fists directly at God himself. That is war with God. We are under condemnation. That should grieve us when we think about that. But what is the opposite of condemnation? That is justification. Again, this is a legal term. And what this means is this, that justification, as we see it here, and especially in this passage, is this, that God declares us righteous. In other words, instead of a declaration of war, this is a declaration of peace. 
Praise God for that. I tell you what, justification here, therefore being justified by faith here, this is what makes the gospel the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Jesus died, buried, and was risen again. It offers to everyone salvation freely and the forgiveness of sins. And guess what? We pass from death to life. we That's that hinge that we talk about. Going from death to life. We go from condemnation, from war, to justification or peace. Beautiful. But what is justification exactly? Another word, uh, you know, especially, this is something that I try to do as well. When we look at sometimes the big words in the Bible, how do you break it down where even a child or my lovely teenager can understand, right? How do you get it to that? How do you kind of chew on this? And this is a heavy word, justification. I think another word we could probably use here for justification is acquittal. Think of a court of law, acquittal. Uh, now, when someone is acquitted, when a judge says, this person here, he's acquitted, okay? And and uh, this does not necessarily mean that the person is innocent, okay? If we were declared innocent, that means we would no longer uh, have sin in our life, okay? And there's some people, there are even some denominations that teach that once you are saved, you no longer sin. It's impossible to sin. I don't know about you, but I still deal with my sin nature, okay? Now, thank God, I don't. we don't have the power of sin over us. We have the power to choose what is right, and when we get to glory, definitely that'll be all gone. We'll get that, but sometimes uh, you'll hear people teach what is called sinless perfection, where you're perfected. But that's not, I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches, and we're going to kind of see why here in a second. But as we think about this, when we see here that we are declared righteous, or we are justified, or acquitted, we are simply declared acquitted or not guilty. But this can only happen if someone would take our sin upon himself. How was this done? It was through our mediator, our attorney, our advocate, if you will, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness or justified of God in him. That's the idea. So the question is then, when were you justified? When were you justified? I believe this, that the justification happens the moment we are saved, okay? As opposed to a future justification, there are some that say, uh, some denominations, some churches that will say that justification happens, it'll happen when you get to heaven, when you finally reach the, the finish line, so to speak. You'll finally get justified. There's, I don't think the Bible talks about that, and we'll see exactly why in a second. There are some that believe, uh, Hyper-Calvinists, in, in fact, would say this, that that we were justified in eternity, eternity past. Before the foundation of the world, we were justified. No, I believe that, salva that at salvation, at the point of your conversion, when you became a believer, a child of God, that is when your, it was that hinge that, that happened right there, okay? And that's where things turn. So again, what does justification then look like? It's a big term and it carries a big meaning for a believer. What does it mean to be justified, acquitted, or declared not guilty? By being justified by faith, here's the point. We enter into a permanent relationship with God as we are fully accepted both as his friends. Like Abraham. Abraham was justified by faith without the works of the law. And he was called, according to James 2, a friend of God. Your status now changes, okay? When you get saved, you are justified. You're declared not guilty. Guess what? You now are accepted as a friend of God. And not just that, according to Romans 8, you are now co-heirs with Christ. 
the glories that perceive it. Think back to the story of the Bedouin sheik who, who accepted his son's killer into his home and accepts him as a son and even gives him all the future glory and blessings of his tent. That's the picture that we have here, that we, that we see here. So being justified by faith, we have peace with God. So again, by the way, justification is not anything that you do. You cannot do it yourself. This is something only God can do for you through his son, Jesus Christ. So this is the important thing. This is why this is important to know that we are, are saved by grace through faith. It's not a work. Same thing. We are not justified by works. We're justified by faith. And faith is the entrance for us to have that peace with God. So, so that is foundational. That is the hinge that we turned on. So now we go into this part here. Actually, the next several verses are actually several benefits of justification. Several benefits of what it means to be uh, now declared not guilty. Okay? The first thing, as we see here in verse 1, is that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This takes care of our past. As we see, we have peace with God, okay? As we come together through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this is not a quiet peace uh, uh, or a tranquility, like we talked last few weeks having that settled state of mind or that attitude of peace. I'm not talking about that. But rather, this peace with God is really the state of reconciliation as opposed to enmity. What is enmity? Enmity is, as one commentator said, is incipient war with God. So instead of being at war with God, we now have peace with God. It's a state of reconciliation. Look with me at chapter 5, verse 10. Look with me just a few verses down. It says here, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, how? By the death of his son, that's Jesus. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That's exactly what happened to that man in the, in the sheik's tent, right? Exactly what happened. But anyways, in a real sense, in a spiritual sense, that's exactly what God does for us. We are now reconciled with him. So in order to do that, we have peace with God, or excuse me, we have peace with God, which leads us what? To having the peace of God. And that flows into that. Again, as we said, before we were saved, we were at war with God. Now, I think a lot of times we get tripped up, and even I have kind of missed it myself growing up, that when we think of being at war with God, a spiritual warfare, that means this. We're trying to get peace. And sometimes we try to get peace in, in different ways. I'll be honest with you, this is where I think some people get tripped up. People sometimes try to seek peace with Satan. They try to seek peace with the world. They try to seek peace with flesh, their bodies and their desires, things like that. You know, if you focus on trying to figure out how to have peace and get along with the devil, you're never going to win. <laughs> if you try to figure out how to have peace in the world and get along with the world, it ain't going to work. If you try to figure out how to fulfill the desires of your heart, be at peace and everything's as we say in Hebrew, or Hakuna Matata. You probably know that better. All right? Means no worries, right? Don't start singing that song, Becca. All right, so. <laughs> All right. So as we think about this, we are not just supposed to seek peace with Satan, the world, or the flesh. Rather, we have peace with God. When that happens, everything else falls into perspective. Instead of fighting against God, now we are fighting for God. That's, again, that hinge that turns when we are saved and we are justified. Pretty amazing. But again, who exactly gets justified? Go back to Romans 4. We can't miss this. Um, like I said, in Romans 1 through 3, there's not a lot of good news. We are under the wrath of God. 
And then all of a sudden, uh, we have an opportunity to be saved. And he talks about here in chapter 4, he gives an illustration. Paul gives an illustration of Abraham in, by faith. So look with me in Abraham. Uh, let's start in verse 2. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Now here's the point. Look, look at carefully. Who can be justified? Verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth, that's God, the ungodly, his faith shall be counted for righteousness. In other words, it is God who justifies, who declares not guilty, who acquits the, the ungodly. That's who does it, is God himself. Now, the thing is this. Abraham was justified by faith before the works of the law, before he was circumcised. That's really amazing. And so for those who think, again, that you get progressively justified, or hopefully when you get to the finish line, or you get to heaven, finally you get justified. No, God is the one who justifies. And it's a permanent relationship. Talk about a promise of eternal security. It's God who does it. It's not in your strength or what you've done or didn't do. It's all in the power of Jesus Christ. Pretty amazing as we think about that. So as we think, we are not justified or acquitted by the works of the law. And peace was made possible, as we mentioned ago, by the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the one blessing that we have. One benefit, we have the peace with God. The second uh, benefit we have is that we have access to God. Verse 2, back in Romans 5, Romans 5, 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So the second thing we have is not just the peace with God, we have access to God. And that takes care of our present situation. The word access has the idea of introducing. Uh, another way you can say this is that access means the entrance to the king through the favor of another. Let me tell you a little story, kind of what this would illustrate. As we have access by faith in his grace, there are some, as you know, there's probably some places you can't go unless you have the the uh, gift of another, the presence of another to go with you into that place, okay? Uh, when we first moved to Israel, we, we uh, had some good friends who worked with the U.S. State Department, and it was the 4th of July, our first 4th of July being out of the country, and we were invited to go to the U.S. Ambassador's residence uh, in, just north of Tel Aviv. And so as we were there, and our, our friends who worked in the State Department and the embassy, they invited us, uh, we were able to walk with them into the ambassador's residence. That's paid by you and me, right? Okay, our taxpayers, all right? As we go in there, we saw a line of several other people. They were going through one line, and that was kind of like for the general invitees. But because we were personal guests of the communications attache of the U.S. Embassy, we went through the dignitaries line. We didn't realize until we got there, all of a sudden, here's the ambassador and his wife, the deputy ambassador, Later on, here's Ariel Sharon and Sylvan Shalom and a few other Israeli dictators as they're coming through it. And we're walking through line, handshaking with them. And the only way we would have ever have gotten to there in the first place was because of our friends that had brought us there. And so we had access to the U.S. ambassador's residence because of that. It's kind of amazing how that all came about. It wasn't exactly us. Kind of amazing as we think about this. But having access is even greater when we get to have access to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and our God in heaven. As we think about this, having access to the Father, having access to God by faith into this grace, 
This is exactly the opposite of what the children of Israel faced. Think of this. Go back to Mount Sinai. As the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they come to the foot of Mount Sinai. They're there they're here. But as they waited for God to give the law to Moses, what did they have to do? They had to build barriers around it so that they would not come through. Okay, that was for their protection. There were barriers to have access to God. Think later on when the tabernacle was built and later on the temple. Uh, we see that this, when when that temple was built, when they put in the Ark of the Covenant, we actually been studying this over the past couple of weeks on Wednesdays, that when the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle or filled the temple after the Ark of the Covenant was placed, that the priests and even Moses himself had to back away from the presence of the Lord. So having that, when you think about this, that it, further on, later on, we would talk about a partition, that there were actually areas, there was a court of the Gentiles at the temple, where probably most of us would be at, Okay, then there was a inner court and there was a, a big fence that was or kind of a semi wall that was put around with these inscriptions, mostly in Greek. But it basically says upon the penalty of death, do not cross here if you're a gentleman. In fact, archaeologists have actually found these. Okay, so as you come there, you could not go beyond. You did not have access beyond that point. Here's the thing. This is, let's just kind of cut through the tabernacle and through the temple. When we talk about having our quiet time with God, you open up your Bible in the morning, having time with prayer. In those times, you did not go to have your morning devotions in the Holy of Holies. Think about that. You didn't sit by the Ark of the Covenant and open your Bible to the book of Psalms. All right, that You did not do that because you did not have proper access except you had a mediator who would do it for you. Pretty amazing. But now, here's the thing. According to being justified, not declared, uh, now that we're declared righteous, we are acquitted. We are not guilty. Okay, we now have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. All right, we also know that when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was rent in twain from top to bottom in a way symbolizing that we now have complete access as children to the Father. That's amazing, okay, when we think about that. And because of this, this gives us a new position in Christ wherein we stand. This is a permanent standing, by the way, okay? The thing is, with my children, if I'm having a meeting or something else like that, if my kid, even Linnea, I'll pick on her because she's right here in front of me, if she called me or knocked on my door, guess what? I absolutely will allow her to come in. I might not have her there very long, but she has access into my life that most other people wouldn't have. I think you guys understand that principle. As God's children, we have that access as well. Now that we are justified by faith, we have access permanently. Okay, Adam Clark said about this, uh, the commentator says, and this access to God or introduction to divine presence is to be considered a lasting privilege. We are not brought to God for the purpose of an interview. (laughs) That's important. But to remain with him, to be his household and by faith to behold his face and walk in the light of his countenance. Like I said, everything changes when we're saved. When we are justified, it's a brand new relationship as you're part of his family, but not just that, you are you are co-heirs with him. You get all the glory with that. And that leads us to the third aspect. When we are justified by faith, guess what? We have peace with God. That's the first benefit. Second benefit, we have access to God. And the third is, we have hope in the glory of God. And that's the end here in verse 2. And rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This takes care of our future, as we think about that. The word rejoice here, means to exalt or literally to boast. It really has the idea of a triumphant or rejoicing confidence. 
as we think. So when we talk about this, because of our where we are in Christ, our position as justified, we have uh, we have the privilege really to rejoice. Actually, it's kind of an uh, exhortation uh, to rejoice, but exalt or to boast in the hope of the glory of God. What is hope here? The word hope, you know, in our culture today, when we talk about hope, you know, sometimes we it's a hit and miss thing, right? You know, we, we hope the Vikings win a game, right? <laughs> we hope we'll catch the big one, at the, you know, when we go fishing, right, Davey? So we have that hope or, you know, kind of a wishful thinking, if it were. But the hope that is, is here, that we see here, is really an expectation I, it's going to happen. This is what I'm trusting in. This is the hope that I have. So hope here was never implied uncertainty for the Apostle Paul. Hope with God. If you have hope in God, you will never be uncertain for his, for his heart. As you think about this, hope is, as one commentator says, hope is a happy certainty in God. It's a happy certainty. And what is that hope in? It's in the glory, the hope in the glory of God. So what is this glory? The glory here refers to our future blessings and honor given by God to those who have been justified. This is kind of talking about our future in heaven with God. It's interesting, as one commentator says, in heaven they shall triumph in the completed work of God, enjoying the splendors that surround the throne. One of the great things that we have in, in our future that we have, we have a glorious future as believers. Don't you forget it. Believe God's promises, okay? We have a glorious future. Our bodies will be changed. You want to, even for me, I'm looking at myself. Do I want to be in this body the rest of my life? No, okay? We will have glorified bodies. Amazing. Bodies that ain't going to fall apart. All right, praise God. We have glorified bodies, and also we will enjoy the glory of God's presence in heaven and all the riches that pertain to it. Wow. In other words, you ain't seen nothing yet. And that is what awaits us. And that, as we go back to the Bedouin Sheik, and as he talked about that man who killed his son that he's now taking in, he shall one day enjoy all the riches and all the benefits that I have under my tent. It shall be his. That is the blessing that we have of God. You see here the glorification that we have in God. I like what Psalm 84, 11 says this. For the Lord our God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly, from those who are just, who are justified. We see that the end result as well in Romans 8. Uh, we're going to turn over there just very quickly here. In Romans 8, we see the, what was called the chain of the, the saved one. What happens at salvation, it says here in Romans uh, 8, 29 and 30, it says, For whom he did for no, he did also to predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, you're saved to be like Christ, okay? Verse 30, Moreover, for whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and from whom he called them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. That's the chain that we have that links our salvation all together. And that is the plan of God. Praise God for that special promise that we get to experience. As believers in Christ, then, we are justified by faith and we have real peace with God. We have turned the hinge of our salvation. And our lives, and I pray yours, has been forever changed. The war is over. Think about that. The war is over. But God, in his grace, he gives us a new standing as we have access to him. 
and a reason to rejoice in the confident hope of the glories that await us. Our lives have been forever changed by Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. And knowing this, we must live by faith. What does it say at the beginning of Romans? The just shall live by faith. We must live by faith as ones who have been justified. And in this, we are free to live in him and through him. I want to close the message today kind of just by reading the lyrics of a song that has been precious to our family. It's written by uh, Chris Anderson, who is also a pastor. The title of the song is His Robes for Mine. Maybe one day we'll actually sing, but I want just you to hear the lyrics of the song. I'll just read the first verse to you. He writes this, His robes for mine, O wonderful exchange. Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage. Draped in his righteousness, I'm justified. In Christ I live, for in my place he died. The chorus goes, I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost. Jesus forsaken, God estranged from God. Bought by such love, my life is not my own. My praise, my all, shall be to Christ alone.